I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. Today's guest is, uh, let's see, a Utah Grizzlies legend. Your, your poster's still up there. It's, it's Mike Mole, uh, one of my favorite goaltenders to back up. Great guy. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you heard me say it there, but uh, your poster is still in the, we call it the Mavericks Center now. Did you? I think I texted you that last year, but you're, uh, they still got one, a couple of your po- posters up. You're the, you're the guy. That's awesome. That's uh, great to hear. That's uh, a place that I, I still hold near and dear to my heart, so it's nice to see that uh, that poster's still up. Yeah, well, it's perfect. So, um, Mike, I, w- I want to talk to you. I mean, you've got – I've been telling people around here, we've got some hockey fans and some not hockey fans, and I've been telling some of the people in the office uh, a little bit of your backstory, and uh, people just can't believe it. And I posted it on Facebook. I think you, I tagged you in that. And it's uh, it's just such a cool story. But I want to start way back. Like, I want to talk – uh, how old were you when you started playing? Uh, I first started playing hockey. I think I was about seven or eight years old. And uh, truth be told, when my parents first took me to the rink, I was living in uh, New Brunswick, which is on the east coast of Canada. And uh, they didn't have a whole lot of rinks. And a lot of the rinks were kind of older and darker and kind of dingy. And uh, truth be told, when my mom took me to sign me up the first time, I guess I got into the arena and I was crying and screaming and I wanted nothing to do with it. And, uh, and that was it. And I said, get me out of here. And it wasn't until uh, a few months later I'd met a couple neighborhood kids uh, and then started kind of getting into hockey a little bit more. And then uh, I came home and kind of begged my parents to sign me up. And, uh, you know, luckily they were able to give me a second chance and, and go do it. But, uh, but that's kind of how I got my start. So I started about eight, eight years old, and then I didn't start playing goalie full-time until I was about 10. Wow, that's so. – you know, that's one of the things I've never heard about before. And I, I think – I, I just wonder how many kids maybe miss out on playing because that first experience at the rink or whatever was not good. And I, I can think of a few times running hockey camps, right, because I've ran hockey camps here for 18 years. And you've had those kids that came in for the first day of camp and realized it's harder than they think to be a goalie or there's more work, and then they quit and leave. And I wonder you know, if those kids ever gave it another chance down the road or was that just it for them? Because that's, that's cool to hear that you got another shot at it. And uh, obviously it started going well for you, so... Uh, 10 years old, what makes you decide to be a goaltender? Well, I think you and I talked about it before, kind of uh, prior to the interview there, but I, I, and you even know from just my personality being around the rink, I was uh, a self-proclaimed equipment nerd. I just, I grew up, I loved the equipment, I loved the pads, I loved the masks, and uh, and that's what really got me hooked into goaltending. So uh, it was kind of love at, at first sight there once I got into the equipment, so that's what uh, got it all started for me. Has, has has that stopped? Are, are you still a, a gear nerd, and are you a member of the Goalie Gear Sluts? I, I am, yeah. I'm a proud member. I've been on there <laughs> since uh, pretty much day one. Um, uh, Garrett Sparks, who uh, who obviously is the backup there with the Toronto Maple Leafs, was kind of one of the founding fathers of that site. 
And uh, I spent some time working for uh, CCM, the uh, hockey equipment company, as a pro rep. And uh, at the time, Garrett was uh, one of the athletes that was with CCM, so I used to deal with him on a regular basis. So him and I had a lot of conversations and uh, chats about gear over the years, and, and he kind of started up that site with a few other guys. And, uh, you know, I kind of got involved early on, and I was actually part of the, the first ever. They did a, uh, a, a, a GGSU uh, goalie school there for the first year in Chicago, so... Uh, while I was working for CCM, I, I I went down and participated and brought some sample and demo equipment down and and kind of talked shop with uh, with a lot of the other members. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a pretty cool site. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, we just call it GGSU now. It stands for Goalie Gear Sluts United, and it started out as just a few hundred goalies across the country, and uh, it just grew. I think there's like thirty thousand members now. If if uh, yeah. I, I think I tried to look it up the other day. Yeah, I would say there's at least that, yeah, and it's, it's kind of spawned all across the globe now as well. It's uh, kind of worldwide, so it's cool to see kind of the following, and then people always say goalies are a little bit of a different breed, so oh, yeah. it's nice to have a, a form that everybody can kind of jump in on and uh, and kind of feel normal for a change, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to follow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, uh, yeah, it makes us feel normal, but for anybody else that watches it, I mean, because all you do on there, you post pictures of your gear, and then you make fun of everybody else on the page. So anybody else that watches that or looks into that is definitely going to, it's just going to uh, feed the stereotype, if you will, of uh, goalies being a little bit nuts. All right, yeah, so. Pretty much nailed it on the head there, yeah. Yeah, and there's a few guys in there, too. Uh, just to, uh, not to beat this, but this wasn't even a topic I, wanted, I was planning on top of, talking about, but um, there's a few guys that started as members of that page. And then, you know, as the years go by and you see them being more successful or you see guys that were successful and come into that page for whatever. So you've got, you know, you talk about Sparksy, who um, now he's an NHL goaltender. And when he started this, he wasn't even, I, was he even playing juniors or was he, was he major juniors yeah, at the time? Yeah, I think he was part of the, uh, yeah, I think he was with the Guelph Storm in the, uh, in the Ontario Hockey League at the time. Okay. Now, he's got a cool story too. I love uh, we're going to have to talk to talk about him sometime because he had a story where he was the third guy, and then over Christmas break he was supposed to be the second guy, and then the first guy got sick, and then he just took the reins and became just like the one of the best goaltenders they've ever had. And now we'd love to see him in the NHL. And then you had uh, uh, Darling as well as a member and a contributor, and yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to watch them. So uh, as we talk about these other guys, is there was there a goaltender that kind of stood out to you as you're 10 years old and you're getting into the equipment? And uh, is there a goalie that you tried to emulate either in play style or equipment style? Yeah, I mean, growing up for me, um, I was kind of my, my dad brainwashed me at an early age to be a, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. But uh, I can say that today and be kind of proud of it because the Leafs are doing actually pretty good this year and they got a a pretty good future ahead of them over the next few years, it seems. But uh, for me, it was always Felix Potvin, Felix the Cat. Oh, yeah. He was uh, he was my guy growing up, and, and they had a couple of really good runs there in, uh, in 92, 93, 93, 94. So, again, I was born in 82, so I was probably, you know, between, uh, you know, 10 and 12 years old at the time when I was, you know, pretty influential years for me. So he was always uh, my idol that I looked up to. I wore 29, uh, you know, same number as him. I uh, had my mask painted with the same paint job, you know, when I was playing minor hockey, and that was a guy that I really tried to uh, to kind of emulate my game after and even some of my style. So, uh, for sure, it was uh, it was him. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, he was obviously one of my influences, and then I was wondering, uh, Cujo, too, uh, did he have any impact on you at all? 
Yeah, for sure. Cujo, <clears throat> Cujo had some good years there in Toronto, and actually uh, in some of those playoff runs I was talking about for the Leafs, when Cujo was on St. Louis, uh, he had a couple of real memorable games where he, uh, you know, I think 60-plus shots, and, uh, you know, I think they, I, I can't remember if they beat Toronto or they held right in there, and he, he was just standing on his head, but, you know, Cujo has always been a fierce competitor, a, a real fun goalie to watch, and uh, I got to know him a little bit uh, my first year pro when I was playing in Phoenix for the Roadrunners, and uh, Cujo was with the... Uh, the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, the now Arizona Coyotes, but uh, he used to work out at the gym where our practice rink was located. So we kind of connected a little bit uh, just in the halls and stuff like that over time, just uh, talking about our you know passion for goaltending and our connections to Toronto and stuff like that. So uh, a real great guy, a real great family man. He actually has a, a book uh, that just is being released there just around the holidays now. I think it just came out, but... Uh, you know, something I'd like to sit down and read because he's got a, a great story there as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to check in with him. Every time I do a podcast, people tell me about an awesome book, and I, I, I'm not a reader, but I'm just going to have to start becoming a reader. Uh, so tell me about, all right, so how old are you when you start thinking that you figure you can make it somewhere? Like you can be more than just a, you know, a city goalie. Uh, to be honest, like I said, I, I grew up in New Brunswick in the eastern part of Canada, and, and there wasn't a lot of players uh, that kind of ever made it to the NHL from, from that part of the world. Um, it wasn't anywhere near like it would be, you know, kids growing up in Toronto. So uh, my family moved to Ottawa when I was 12, and uh, that's kind of when I started getting into a little bit more competitive hockey. But, but even then, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too sure. Uh, you know, how far I'd be able to take it. And uh, in Ottawa, there's a, a junior A-League where they have a draft for uh, 15-year-old players. And uh, I thought I had a good chance of getting drafted. And uh, the draft came and went, and I never got picked. I was actually one of the only goalies in our league that wasn't selected. So it kind of wow. was a shot to my ego. And, yeah. then, you know, definitely just disappointing. And I honestly thought at that point that might be the end of the road. But uh, I ended up going to a couple tryouts that summer and I ended up making one of the teams as a walk-on and ended up being uh, the only 16-year-old goal in the league that year. Um, and then I caught the uh, attention of some OHL teams, which is the, the Ontario Hockey League, so major junior. And uh, I went on to get drafted by the Mississauga Ice Dogs, who were then owned by Don Cherry. So uh, it was kind of around that age, I guess, uh, you know, 15, 16 is when it started to look like, you know, I kind of had come up you know, against a little bit of adversity there, and I was able to kind of battle through it and overcome it and then started to kind of see things unfold a little bit in front of me. Do you think that being cut that time, or, or not being cut, but not making, not being drafted, and being one of the only goalies in your league to not be drafted, we talk to, we talk to kids all the time and we say, hey, well, you didn't make it. Let's turn that into, you know, positive motivation for you. You talk about the shot to the ego. Do you think that in the long run helped you or helped build you yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, um, you know, it's like they always say, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times, you, you know, you get back up and fight again. So it was just one of those kind of pivotal moments in my life where, you know, things didn't go my way. And, you know, I have a great family and a great support system. And, you know, they picked me up and, and encouraged me to keep going and, and made sure I had all the, the proper coaching and uh, instruction that I needed to help, you know, get me to the next level. And, you know, I was willing to put the work in and they were willing to support me. So, uh you know, it kind of it, it did give me a little bit of motivation, and, and I do think it was a bit of a turning point. And, you know, you fast forward a, a little bit after that. I played a couple of years in major junior there, and I was on the, uh, you know, statistically the worst team in Canada and uh, for my NHL draft year. And, and I was obviously overlooked again, uh, you know, two years in a row with uh, with the NHL draft. So 
Um, you know, it's, it's, I never made it anywhere in my career the easy way. I kind of always had to, to fight and claw my way to get there. But, uh, you know, at the end, when I look back, I, I'm always kind of proud of, of how far I was able to take things, you know, uh, under those circumstances. So That's, that's amazing. And you've, you've had an awesome career. And, and somehow you're – I want to talk about what you're doing now. But uh, we're going to take a break. And, but when we come back – you talk about how you didn't take the easy road. You definitely took an unconventional road, and I posted about it on our Facebook page. Um, I want I want to talk about this making the cut. How was this? Is this show still on in, in uh, Canada? Do you know? No, no, it's not. It uh, it ran for uh, two consecutive years back in the uh, in the kind of early two uh, thousands. Okay, uh, I think two thousand four, two thousand five ish. There was there was two seasons, and then that was kind of the end of it. So all right, so on since then, when we come back, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how. So we're we're on with Mike Mole, uh, Utah Grizzlies goaltender for for a few years, and uh, a fan favorite for for a long time, and he took a a different path than. Well, I, I guess there was only two seasons of guys that could have taken this path, and it's a pretty amazing story. So we're going to come right back with Mike Mole, and we're going to talk about Mike making the cut right here on the Utah Puck Report. And we're back to the Utah Puck Report. Jay Stevens here with former Utah Grizzlies goaltender Mike Mole. Mike, we're talking about making the cut, and you told us a little bit about it. Tell, tell us what it is. What is making the cut? Well, this was a, a new show that, was, uh, that came out in Canada. I think, I think the year that I appeared on it was 2004. It was the, I was on the very first season of it, and it was a really cool concept. It was, it was a program that was opened up to anybody who was over the, the age of 19 years old at the time that wasn't currently on a professional contract. So uh, I was I was just finishing up my first year at university when I called home to check in with my parents and uh, my dad said, my dad kind of started explaining it to me and told me that he had signed me up for one of the open tryouts in my hometown and uh, I said geez that sounds kind of I don't know that sounds kind of Mickey Mouse dad I you know I consider myself you know a pretty well respected goalie and you know a TV show and I don't know and I hummed and I hawed and. He said, well, don't worry about it. It was only $50. I signed you up for the, the tryout. If you don't want to go, I'm out $50. It's not the end of the world. And then uh, I started chatting to some more friends and people I knew and respected in the hockey industry and you know, started learning a little bit more about it. And I found out that Scotty Bowman and Mike Keenan were going to be the two coaches on the show. Wow. So right away when I heard that, I said, geez, that automatically gives the show uh, instant credibility there for sure. And then I started learning that some of my friends and uh, you know former teammates that were drafted to the NHL or had played pro a little bit already were, were interested in participating. So um, you know then I kind of was like, well, you know maybe this is something I want to try. But uh, at the time there was the the six Canadian NHL teams. So there was Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Uh, they were all participating in the show, and the premise was that they'd hold these open tryouts all across Canada. And they would take the top 68 players, and they'd put them on a show, and it was like a, a contest. So, like you, like you mentioned, similar to like The Voice or American Idol or any of those uh, types of shows. And you have 68 players, and they'd be competing uh, on the show for the the six NHL teams. They were going to each draft one player off the show uh, to attend training camp. So that was kind of how the show worked. Uh, you know, they start off with 68, and they kind of dwindle it down to uh, to six guys winning uh, an NHL tryout. So 
Yeah, I watched I watched some of the episodes that are still available on YouTube today. It's uh, it looked pretty cool, and and to see you know Mike Keenan out there and Scotty Bowman, and that's got to be intimidating too. But okay, so you're known as a hockey player, and you've got that kind of a fan base. But now all of a sudden you're on a reality television show. Um, does that change your fan base? Does that make is that a newfound celebrity? Uh, not really. I mean, and hockey is a big deal in Canada as it is. And, and you know, I'd, I'd finished playing four years of major junior uh, prior to that show. And, you know, you have your, you know, you have the fans and stuff like that in the different communities you play in. And, and obviously this was on a, on a national level. It was a little bigger. But at the time when the show aired, I was actually at university and it was only uh, the university was in a little town of about 10,000 people and about 5,000 of that was students. So uh, that was kind of a neat thing is, is I was in such a small, you know, school in such a small uh, community while the show is so everybody was kind of following along and kind of rooting for me but uh yeah it was it was a cool experience and, and something i'll always remember for sure so you get you get down to the final six and obviously because your story goes on you're one of the final six you get where do you get to go to camp who drafts you Yep, so the show, the way they did it is they, the show got narrowed down to the final 18, and then they brought all the, all the final 18 back to do a live finale, and uh, it was a skills competition, and, and of those 18 players left, six guys got drafted. So I ended up being selected by the Ottawa Senators. So uh, the following uh, fall, I went to training camp with Ottawa, which, uh, yeah, which would have been, I guess, 0506. So I went to, uh, to Ottawa's training camp that year, and... Uh, their their goalie uh, kind of bullpen there was looking pretty full. They had Dominic Hasek and Ray Emery, oh, wow. uh, who were already shored up kind of on, on NHL deals. And then uh, they had a few other guys that were kind of uh, slotted already for the American League and East Coast League. But I went and had a really good camp, really great experience. And, you know, to share a crease there with Dominic Hasek and, and even Ray Emery, who I knew a little bit from junior. And it was a great experience. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was definitely kind of fun. So... And I, I want to get back to Ray Emery. Well, I'll just talk about it now. He was one of my guys. You talk about when you were a pro rep. You know I was a pro rep. Ray Emery was one of my guys. And uh, had him wearing Bryant's forever. And he was, yeah, he was just a different guy to deal with. I loved the guy. He was so, so interesting to deal with. And uh, a huge boxing fan. And, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. One, of, one of the only goalies that always looked for any opportunity to fight that I knew of. And... Uh, I don't know. Like at one point in the season, he contacts me. He finds out that I might possibly be working with in the fire department with a with a boxer, which I was a former heavyweight um, champion. Or actually, his brother was a heavyweight champion, and the guy I was working with was up for. He fought for the title and lost. And he tells us that story. But he sent me a mask to get autographed to give to give back to him for Christmas. So my gift to him was just getting his own mask autographed. But it's just a side story about Ray Emery there crazy i i missed a cool story for sure yeah i missed the guy he was he was an amazing guy um so you you get to ottawa are does anybody else in that show make it does does somebody make the nhl out of that show no nobody uh nobody actually made the nhl a couple guys ended up sticking around in the american league with uh with the respective teams a little bit but uh but that was kind of it um, nobody actually ended up playing any uh, any NHL games uh, for those uh, specific organizations at that time. All right, so you you uh, you don't make the NHL. You you go to the AHL. You go to the East Coast League. Um, you know you you start having a career. I want to talk about the day you find out you're coming to Utah. Tell me about that day. 
Well, it was uh, the way I ended up in Utah was was by way of uh, you know being on contract with the New York Islanders at the time, and uh, I was actually on contract with the Islanders the year before I came to Utah, and uh, that first year I was under contract with them. Their uh, their affiliation was in Pensacola, Florida. So a little bit of a different uh, scenery and a little different climate than Salt Lake, but uh, but that, it was all right. But the, the issue with uh, with Pensacola was they um, you know they had they didn't have a lot of availability for ice time and and for development. The guys weren't really uh, you know getting a great opportunity to develop down there in Pensacola, and I knew there was a few issues. So uh, my second year under contract with the Islanders, they decided to move their affiliation to Salt Lake City with obviously the Utah Grizzlies. So. Uh, I kind of knew going into that uh, my second year on contract with the Islanders that uh, should I not stick in, in Bridgeport in the American Hockey League, then I was going to be going to Utah. And uh, truthfully, I didn't know a whole lot about the uh, the state of Utah or the, or the city of Salt Lake or anything like that um, prior to arriving there. But uh, I went in you know, with an open mind and, and pretty optimistic, and uh, it didn't take long before I absolutely fell in love with it there. Did you, had you heard, so that was part of my next question is, what had you heard of Utah, and were, were people telling you horror stories and anything? <laughs> Not really, but I mean, you can imagine, uh, you know, guys in their early 20s, the uh, first thing you hear is that, you know, all the all the beer and all the liquor is, you know, the percentages are reduced in the state of Utah, and that, uh, you know, the bars and the entertainment, you know, establishments, they all close a little bit earlier than they would, you know, other parts of the country, and, uh, you know, then you got the cover charges at, you know, different places. And, <laughs> yeah. So you kind of hear, you know, you can imagine guys in their early 20s who are, you know, uh, away from home and stuff like that and then part of a team and like to go out and, and be entertained and things like that. Um, so you kind of hear a little things, you know, like that. And then, um, you know, you, you hear obviously there's a strong Mormon culture there and stuff like that. And, and I didn't know a whole lot about the, the religion or the culture and stuff. So I wasn't too sure what to expect. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I fell in love and, I'll go on record saying of all the places I played minor pro hockey that Salt Lake was by far my favorite place I played and lived. Wow. I like to hear that. I've heard similar stuff from other guys. I remember uh, Trevor Daly. I I think he's with the Red Wings now, but when he was here with the Utah Grizzlies, he's like, this is undercover one of the best places to play. He's like, I love it here. It's not too crazy, but you can go out and find a good time. And the women are beautiful. And it's, he's, he's, he thought this was just a, a great place to play, but then you hear NBA players slam us on the on all the time, you know, about not wanting to play for the Jazz or whatever. Um, I just, yeah, I just thought the scenery was beautiful, the mountains and the backdrop, and uh, you know there were, there were there was a lot of things to do, but I we enjoyed going up to Park City and you know partaking a little bit when Sundance was going on. The timing always seemed to work out well, and it was just it was a great place to live and, and the people there were amazing and, and you know really received the team very well it was, it was a lot of fun so when you look back on your career um tell me you know we all talk about highlights winning championships or whatever but what are your career highlights what what stands out to you is it championships or is it just other awesome memories and if so where at uh, well, I, I have to I have to say, just being honest, my my biggest achievement and, the, and something that that stands out right away for me was uh, I was recalled by the New York Islanders back in 2008 to uh, to go up to the NHL to you know ultimately end up backing up for a few games while Rick DiPietro was injured. So um, 
for me, that was, you know, a dream come true and, and getting the call to the NHL and, um, you know, having an opportunity to go up and, and be part of the team and then travel with the team and you're on chartered flights and, uh, you know, you're getting your NHL salary while you're up and things like that. And it was just, uh, you know, it's a whole other world and it's, it's something I always dreamed uh, I'd be able to do. It would have been nice to do it on a, on a longer-term basis, but uh, just to be able to say that I had that opportunity to go up and do it, that uh, I think that to me was kind of the highlight of my career and, uh, you know, something I'm probably the most proud of. Very cool. Very cool. Was that? Were you in Utah when you got pulled up? Uh, I was in Utah for the majority of the season, and then uh, towards the end, I had gone up to Bridgeport for a little while. Oh, right, right, right. It was while I was in. It was while I was in Bridgeport I went up. But that same year, uh, I ended up uh, returning back to Utah after that short stint with the Islanders. So for the uh, for the playoff run, which I believe I think we made to the conference finals that year, but uh, but yeah, no, it was a it was a highlight for me for sure. Yeah, I kind of remember I was kind of present for some of that because every time you got pulled up I got called in for the Grizzlies and then the craziest thing was that was the year of of a million injuries it seemed like for the Islanders and uh I I remember getting a call and I was backing up in Utah and they're like hey um can you go to Bridgeport and I'm like wait a minute I'm I'm getting called I'm getting called up to the A from e-bugging from Utah I'm gonna go e-bugging the A but I couldn't go obviously I I couldn't work it out with my firefighter schedule here but I thought that was kind of cool but Man, a lot of goalies went down, and it was just kind of fun to watch you go up. I, I just remember, and you were just so calm and collected about it. That was that was a fun experience for me too. So I'm glad it's part of your your highlight because it was it was a highlight for me too. I got to I got to live that several times. I got to live it with uh, Dan Ellis and Mike Smith and Jason Bacashwa. I got to see those guys all come from go from Utah to the show, and it was fun to just sit back and and watch. A lot of fun. So. No, no shortage of big name goalies that have gone through Utah. That's for sure. There's some guys that have gone on to have some great careers there after the time in Utah. Yeah, yeah. It's well, it was obviously more when we were in the AHL here, but uh, we still have some kids coming through here that are fantastic goalies. They've got a goalie right now, Joe Canada, uh, under contract with Colorado. Yep. I, this kid, uh, he's the best goalie in the East Coast League and has been for a couple of years. He's got a championship. It's just I don't know what the kid has to do to break the A and then the NHL. He's he's proven himself, but yeah. I think he can be one of the next guys for sure. Uh, so tell and us I about kid too. I got a, I got a chance to know him a little bit when I was working at CCM. I used to do uh, do his equipment as well when oh. he was with the uh, the Canucks organization. Oh really? So oh, very, I, yeah, yeah. I still haven't met the kid. I, have, I haven't met the kid. They have uh, they have kind of a weird setup now. Colorado makes them carry three goalies, so I think my career just right. came to an end. So it's. Uh, as a as an e-bug, I'll, I'll e-bug the other teams or whatever, but uh, it's just kind of funny. Um, tell me about what you're doing now. You go from uh, from playing pro and everything, and I, I'm I, can I just can I call it a pro men's league? Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair to say for sure. Yeah, it's a, a senior A league here, a senior A men's league, and. It's uh, it's a lot of retired pro and, and college and, and junior players and things like that. So it's it's probably a little better than men's league, but uh, but it's you know the same idea. We get uh, we get some fans out to the games and they pay us a little bit of gas money to play and things like that. So it still kind of keeps you motivated. And for me, I just enjoy playing to to kind of get out of the house. And I, the biggest thing for me, you know, by not playing professional hockey anymore is. And I'm sure most guys will tell you the same thing: is they they just miss the camaraderie with the guys and the time in the locker room and, and telling stories and joking around and things like that. So it kind of it kind of keeps me uh, 
you know, keeps me uh, satisfied with that aspect of things, and, and that's what I enjoy the most. But it's, uh, I've been doing that now for, I think, five or six years, so it's, it's been quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's cool. Your stats still show up on, uh, on the elite prospects for, your, for the men's league there at the Senior A League. But, uh, so you get gas money, but here's the important question. Do you get gear? Well, I, I've always just kind of taken care of my own gear through, you know, different connections I had from, from being in the sporting goods industry and stuff like that. So I've, I've kind of, the owner of the team, he's gotten off pretty easy because I, I typically just take care of myself. But yeah, just to, to go way back to earlier in our conversation, I am still crazy about the gear. I still normally get new stuff every year and I try to be on top of all the latest trends and uh, technology. So it's, it's, I still enjoy that aspect of it for sure as well. All right, so latest trends in technology, which means you're in Brian's now? Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing Brian's. I've been wearing Brian's the last few years, so I was always a, a Reebok, Coho, CCM guy, which was kind of, for people who don't know, it's all, they're all kind of under the same umbrella. And then once uh, once I kind of stopped playing and then I stopped working for that company, then I was interested in trying, uh, you know, some other brands and other technology, and I'd made some contacts there with Brian's over the years, and and uh, you know they were nice enough to help me out there kind of in the, in the early goings, and I've been kind of loyal to them ever since, and I really like the, the direction that they've gone with uh, with some of their new lines, so it's been good. Yeah, it's the same stuff I'm wearing. I knew you were wearing the same stuff. It's uh, it's funny because that's the other part of when I was playing, when I was backing you up, as I was every day trying to get you to switch to Brian's because that was my side job, right, trying to trying to get guys into it. So I'm glad yeah. to see it finally works. Glad to see you're finally in it. Uh, as we wrap, wrap up here, I want to talk to you. Um, one of the questions I'd like to find out, uh, outside your family, was there was there somebody that kind of – stood up for you when you were younger that where you needed support you needed help to to make it to that next like you know a coach or a friend somebody that really helped you when you when you needed help yeah i think if you go back to that uh that, that period in my life where i said i was about 15 years old uh and there was that junior a draft there in ottawa and, and i was kind of overlooked um that was when my, my parents kind of stepped in and said you know hey if if, if he wants to make it, we're going to need to get him some help here and, and try to get someone to help support him to get him to the next level. And, um, you know, my dad, just through kind of asking around, it, I found a goalie coach kind of in the Ottawa area uh, by the name of Tom Dempsey. And uh, I started working with Tom, you know, again, when I was about 15. And, you know, that had a huge, uh, you know, positive impact on my career. You know, not only, uh, you know, my, my ability to, to play, but just uh, my confidence and the mental side of things. And, you know, Tom was a great coach and a great mentor to me for, for many years. And uh, he went on to coach a little bit in the Quebec Major Junior League with the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles while Marc-Andre Fleury was there. So he, he has a little bit of his kind of his stamp on Marc-Andre Fleury when he was younger a little bit. And, and he spent a lot of time doing coaching in Ottawa. Um, and uh, he was with the Ottawa 67s, which, again, is another OHL uh, franchise there. And he even had a little bit of time where on the side he worked with Dominic Hasek a few times and Jeez. things like that. But... Uh, but yeah, no, he had a, he's a, a big impact on my career. And the funny thing is, is Tom was never a goalie. He was never a goalie growing up. He didn't pick up the position until he was, uh, until he was kind of, I think, well in his 40s, um, is when he kind of took it up. So he was a real student of the game. He worked for Stats Canada. He had a real analytical mind and, uh, was really good at breaking things down and, and kind of understanding things. And, and, you know, he certainly helped me out a lot. Geez, that's amazing to go from, uh, no goaltending experience to work with Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, Dominic Hasek and of course the great Mike Mole. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, one last yeah. question here is: uh, What would you say to a 15 year old Mike Mole now? What would you say to that kid right now 
that's that's wondering about uh, that maybe just got waived by a team that he maybe should have made his uh, his Bantam team or his junior team or a midget team. What would you say to to that kid right now with the experience that you have? Well, I just you know I, I just say that you know try to keep positive and keep working hard and you know good things happen to good people and. Um, you know, you just basically got to, you know, you got to put the work in and uh, and things will work out for you. And it might not be right away and it might not be, you know, in a year from now. But if, you know, if you put in the hard work, then you can look yourself in the mirror and be kind of proud of what you did and what you've accomplished. And, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much all you can do. And, uh, again, like I said, I, I didn't make it the easy way. So I, I always try to relay that message to other people. There's no one way of, of making it, you know, to, to the highest level or, or making it to where you want to end up. There's a lot of different routes to get there. And, you know, people mature, you know, at different points of their life and, and things like that. So just, uh, you know, basically staying positive and having the right mindset can go a long way. And, uh, you know, typically things uh, work out in the end if you if you kind of stay on the path. Outstanding. That's outstanding advice, and that's uh, I'd have to second that. That's been my whole life's experience. Uh, Mike, I can't I can't thank you enough. I, uh, I'm glad to catch up with you. You're a great guy. Here Now you're trying to p- become a police officer. Is that the next step for you? That's my goal, yeah. I'm in, I'm in the process right now. I'm in the kind of on the, the final stage of the hiring process, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping in the, in the new year I may get an offer to, uh, to, to jump onto the police service there. So, I, you know, I'm trying to go through different things as I'm sure you always hear it's always difficult when guys finish their career in hockey and you know what the next step is and I've been doing you know different sales jobs for the past seven years but it hasn't really left me feeling too fulfilled so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to trying to get into something with uh, some stability and you know part of a team environment and, and things right. like that so yeah it seems like ton- that'll be the, the next chapter seems like a ton of guys that uh, come from hockey end up playing you know or becoming uh, police officers or firefighters and I've helped a lot of guys um both here and in Boise, and it seems like everywhere I go, one guy, if I'm backing up a guy and they find out I'm a firefighter, I end up helping them, you know, fill out their resume or f- figure out what classes to take. It just seems like a natural progression, it's that camaraderie thing. But it seems like uh, cops in Canada, the, our, our impression of Canada here in the United States is just everybody's nice and apologizes for everything. And so hopefully it's a, hopefully it's a nice gig for you up there. Well, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously, as you know, it's a challenging position uh, anywhere you are. You know, things always happen, but Absolutely. not as often here. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah I look forward to uh, some new challenges, hopefully, in the new year. Yeah, well, you know, we're all still fans of yours, and we're all behind you 100%, and uh, we want to see you succeed. And if that's to be a police officer, we want to see you see you do that and be successful at it and be safe at it and have a long, healthy, safe career. I know it's – I joke about it, but that's a dangerous position uh, it's a dangerous profession, and we appreciate uh, law enforcement everywhere. Obviously, I don't want to toot our own horns of firefighters too much, and, but uh, it seems like a lot of our guys end up, or a lot of uh, a lot of hockey players end up in those professions. So, Mike, once again, thanks so much for taking the time with us. That's that's really all we have here today for the Utah Puck Report. Next week, however, we're going to be checking in with Daniel Brickley from the Ontario Reign, uh, seeing if he's going to make the LA Kings roster this year. Seems like they're having a lot of uh, crazy. Uh, ups and downs, I guess, this year, mostly downs, uh, struggles and strugglesville for them. We're also going to have Ben Wilner in here. He's the, he's, you've heard of a man's man. He's the men's hockey of men's hockey. We're going to have him in here and, uh, make fun of him. And he's going to add some great local insight to what we've got to say. So next week, Dan Brickley and Ben Wilner, Mike Mole. once again, thanks so much for being with us. That's it for us on the Utah Puck Report. We're out.